Hello and welcome to Coffee with Conservationists, the podcast where I sit down with anyone who has dedicated their life to protecting, researching and documenting the natural world, from conservation biologists to wildlife filmmakers. I talk to them about their work in wildlife conservation, human and wildlife coexistence, community projects and worldwide environmental issues. You can find out all about the reasoning behind the Coffee Connection on my Instagram at Coffee with Conservationists. Today I'm featuring coffee from Union Hand Roasted Coffee. Union generously sent me two bags of their coffee to try and as usual I'll be talking more about them and who they are at the end of this episode. I'll also be going into more detail about one particular coffee they sent me and the fantastic project behind it. In this episode I talk with Sophie Pavel, who is a science communicator, writer, presenter and zoologist. We talked about staying positive during a global pandemic, the reintroduction of beavers to the UK, the process of making the short film Beavers Without Borders in 2020, her new book and more. Hi Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you again for taking the time to talk to me kind of a, after a few um, hiccups at work <laughs> a, for you. I hope everything's a okay now. Start. Yeah. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I think I think with this episode, I'd like to um, I'd like to stay a bit positive. Um, but I want to kind of start it off by saying, <laughs> like telling my my listeners that obviously, and I, and I know this as well, that on social media and in what you do, you do talk about the negatives and the really important issues that are facing our wildlife here in the UK and around the world. You know, mm. you do talk about those. Um, it's just the reason being, I think there's a lot of positives in, in what you do that we can talk about. And also listening back over my episodes um, from, we, we've talked about some really important issues, but they have been almost overwhelmingly negative. And I think mm. lockdown three is January. I think people can just do with a bit of uh, a bit of happiness. A bit of um, light. Absolutely. A bit of light in the, in the, yeah, because I, I have talked about some really important things like, you know, shark finning and HS2, but obviously sure. <laughs> they are just very sad to talk about. Um, mm. So we'll start it off as we always do by getting to know you a bit, kind of your nature origin story. Could you tell us <laughs> a bit about yourself and how you first kind of got into conservation, kind of got bitten by the nature bug, I guess? <laughs> Um, sure. Okay. So, um, I am a science communicator. I think that's, I've always struggled with how to describe what I do, but I think that that's kind of the best way that sort of summarizes everything. Um, I didn't really have like a very, I, I don't really have a very exciting story of how I got into it. I was the very classic school, sick form, uni masters job. Um, narrative I guess. Um, I did zoology at Bristol University and then I did a master's in science communication um, at UWE which I loved and I think is very much responsible for um, putting me in this sort of exciting um, dynamic space of communicating science and being kind of um, a vehicle for for messages and things like that. Um, So I never really, I mean, kind of nature and animals and being outdoors and stuff was always just a hobby it was never I must say it's it's never been like a fascination of mine I've always had quite a broad I've always been a jack of all trades master of none you know I'm not a naturalist mm. half of the time I don't know what I'm looking at I don't know how I'm, my ID is really shocking um 
you know, I, I more do it just because of how it makes me feel. I've never really been like your classic. I've always felt like I ought to have been like a classic collector of, of trinkets and feathers. You know, obviously if I see a lovely shell or a beautiful feather, I'll take it home and keep it. I've got, I've currently got a crab claw on my windowsill. Um, but it's very rare that that happens. Mm. Um, and I've got a beaver chip uh, as my bookmark, which um, is from Knackdale in Scotland, which is very special to me. But other than that, you know, I've never, I've always poked around in the mud and loved getting, you know, dirty and being a bit of a tomboy and mucking around with my brother outside. But I never really wanted to know absolutely everything about what I was looking at. It's more that I just had a very sort of shallow appreciation of it. Um, but I think it's more that as I've started working, um, I work part time for the Beaver Trust. Um, I do communications there. And I think just learning a bit more about the beaver and just I think growing up to be honest um, I've got a bit more of an appreciation for the context of my interest in nature and actually realize how valuable it is and almost a gift in a way to be um, to, to love nature so much uh, because it helps you understand why we need to protect it and helps you realize the urgency with which we need to kind of uh, encourage everybody else to to have a kind of connection with nature so it's been a very kind of bog standard journey into this industry it's a very competitive industry um, there's been lots of ups and downs um, and no day is ever really the same and it's a very exciting time to be in this space so I do feel very lucky every day to kind of get to my desk and you know not really know what what's gonna um what's gonna happen but um yeah there's never you know I'm constantly learning and I love learning from other people because I always feel that everybody else knows so much more than I do I'm just good at reading um and uh you know I guess memorizing things but um I don't endeavor to learn everything I can it's more just I enjoy it mm, yeah that's that's a really good answer um I'm sure my listeners uh will be bored of me saying this but it's been fascinating to kind of, I always ask that question because no one answer will ever be the same. I think yeah, you have some links of kind of uh, a lot of people, my guests have that classic childhood fascination with nature. Mm. They've all almost always watched like a nature documentary, usually a blue chip BBC documentary mm. um, and, and been fascinated or, or found a bug in the garden or something. Uh, I know my, <laughs> love of nature definitely started as a kid uh, probably from wood lice um i used to watch them nice. for ages when i was like four or five crawling around they my... look so prehistoric don't they yeah they're incredible creatures um my mum is terrified of them um but they are they are amazing mm, and mm. i mean mine was mm, yeah oh, sorry. sorry sorry go on i was just gonna say that my my sort of the only thing i was fascinated by i guess was looking after my guinea pigs i had four guinea pigs at one point they sort of went on rotation as a couple died and then I replaced them and things um and it was more that I just wanted to look after stuff yeah um, and make sure everything was okay and that everything was healthy more than actually learning about them I just wanted to sort of care for them and I think that that's kind of I guess translated into my work and how I view nature is that I just want to look after I don't want to necessarily be a nerd about it mm. yeah no I, I definitely get that and I, I mean I have to say this is going to sound um, like I'm just going to, I'm going to list a load of like cool stuff that you've done. 
but you've been a, an absolute light in the darkness on Instagram during this pandemic. Oh, um, you've, you. you've run some amazing wildlife quizzes, the for fox sake quizzes. Um, <laughs> really hilarious. I only managed to get to one, but it was, it was a, a definitely a highlight of um, what post lockdown <laughs> times, um, which was still very, very strange and still are very strange. Mm. Um, you've raised a huge amount of money for various wildlife charities and you released some hilarious, hilarious videos on Instagram. Uh, Birds Before Breakfast Reel. That was, yeah, got oh me. Oh God, I totally forgot about that. That, that was great. <laughs> that was amazing. And the, uh, obviously the heartwarming video of you and your dad watching a starling mummation um, oh, featuring yeah. just, a, just a normal sized buzzard. <laughs> and uh, and obviously you have made um thousands of people laugh with that tweet show and the the accents in that were amazing um oh, that, that was might that be seeing another one tonight oh <laughs> the... i got bored today <laughs> well it's uh yeah it's a it's a time when people can can do let their creativity run wild i guess um we have some <laughs> spare time on our hands sometimes uh, th- this pandemic has, has obviously undeniably been hard on, on everyone. Um, and to kind of speak frankly, if I may, how have you managed to stay both s- so positive during this last year, or at least positive on social media, but also how you managed to kind of uh, project that positivity onto thousands of people on Instagram? Um, oh, I mean, gosh, it's incredibly flattering and I've never really... Uh, I've never really, I don't know, I've never really thought about it in that sort of way in terms of feeling like I need to sort of do a public service. But also I think, I think I just, it's a mixture of things. I get really sick of the negative bias, especially on things like Twitter. Mm. Um, And I think that there comes a point where too much wallowing and too much reiterating of the situation that we all find ourselves in at the moment is not helpful. Um, And it just sort of, you know, and I I know a couple members of my family live on their own. And I think I just think, actually, how is that helpful for them if there's lots of all this negativity going around and there's nothing kind of sort of distract you or sort of escape into you know why why is that helpful you know it's I don't like it when people use social media to vent I think it's the bottom line and I always I've I've done so much trial and error through posting on social media that I'd rather just not post and say anything unless I have something to offer Mm. um you know I do the occasional like oh here's lovely sunrise but it's just like well that's a nice photo but um you know I, I think it's not helpful for people if if you're just sort of you know ranting and venting uh and I know I have done the occasional rant about a petition or something like that but um I don't know I think I think I've been very lucky that I've been so busy this year or last year um when the last 12 months I suppose um that I haven't really had time to kind of sit and really um think about you know the consequences of what's been going on. Um, my brother is um, a consultant in A and E, um, and I've been worried about him a lot this year, and you know, a couple of other members of my family, like you know, as with everybody else. But I think it's more that I just, I love comedy and I love silliness, and I think that you know, it's presented an, a brilliant opportunity to just really. Um, I think it almost perhaps stems from 
wanting everything slash everybody to be okay I've always been labeled in my family as like the fixer and I always hate imagining people being upset or lonely or miserable and so I always try and think well how can I help um and I think in some ways I felt a little bit helpless during the pandemic because I'm like well I don't work in a hospital and I'm not doing vaccinations I'm not really helping the situation so how can I at least try and cheer people up um and in many ways you know doing those quizzes cheered me up and helped me mentally um as much as everybody who joined in on them um so I did them as much for myself as I did for doing it for the charities and for maybe adding a bit of light into people's days so um I've, I've also just been very lucky to have very grounded wise parents who have always uh, promoted uh you know a healthy work-life balance and looking after ourselves and looking after our sort of bodies and our minds um so I think that that's been you know I've just been very lucky that the people around me have been very uh grounded during this period um so I think that's sort of leached off on me I suppose and I'm lucky that I live in Devon and that the places that I can escape to on my doorstep are really beautiful which indeed helps so it's a mixture of luck and um I think it's just kind of who I am in a way um I'm just a bit I'm a bit of an idiot um and I and I struggle to put a filter over that sometimes no it's it's great that was a that was a great answer it's um yeah, it, it has definitely uh, brightened up my my experiences of lockdown, and I have speak, spoken yeah. to people who who said it it affected them in the same way. I think it's just you're right. There's there's so much negativity around, and you know, obviously we have to be aware of important issues, but social media mm. is definitely a place where certain issues can be weaponized and, and taken out of context. Um, I spent about. Mm. 48 hours on Twitter um, and I think uh, unfortunately mm. chose that platform to interact with people about HS2 and obviously um, mm. sure HS2 is a tricky one yeah loaded on me and I kind of just um, mm. kind of just went I'll leave this to the professional scientists and science communicator mm. who mm. can thicker skinned individuals and activists um, you know this isn't the space that I want to exist in um, yeah yeah it's all about balance you've got to yeah. be careful and I think it's having an awareness as well because you can go too far and you can either be too silly and kind of demean exactly what you're talking about or you can go you know to you can your, your passion can turn into frustration which can turn into vulgarity or rudeness so you've got to be really really careful and sometimes the best thing is just to acknowledge that you're passionate or frustrated or elated about a situation and don't always have to publicise that. Mm, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, staying with the with the positives, um, I think that at the I think at the, was it at the end of last year you did the um, Beavers Without Borders was released, um, mm. and I was on the live stream and Q and A with you oh, and you? amazing Nina Constable. Um, I got mm. my got my flight involved because. We're down in uh, Falmouth in Penryn, actually. Yeah. So um, we're quite close to one of the the Beaver projects. And, yeah, Cornwall Beaver Project, nice. Um, and, and yeah, that was an amazing film. Um, Thank I know you. we could spend hours talking about this. We could probably do an entire <laughs> like, three or four podcasts just on beavers. Uh, <laughs> but we don't. We don't unfortunately have that long. Uh, could you kind of talk about your experiences? Well, firstly, kind of a bit about re Beaver reintroduction in the UK, but also just about your experiences making that film 
and finishing mm. it in 2020 in you know in such incredibly challenging conditions to to make a film mm. yeah okay so beaver reintroduction in the uk is possibly um the biggest slash most uh i guess publicized uh reintroduction that's happening at the moment uh beavers are of course a native mammal that we drove to extinction and they've been gone from our wetlands and rivers for 400 years but now they're back um and there's no question that they are back um but unfortunately the well depending on how you look at it just the the nature of of the world uh the world has utterly changed in those 400 years. There are more people, there's industry, cars, agriculture, everything, climate change. Um, so beavers by their nature don't quite fit in at the moment, um, but we really need them to because they are an incredible ecosystem engineer and a, a very vital ally against climate change, um, helping to mitigate against flooding and drought and all those sorts of things. Um, so, uh, the problem is, is that beavers aren't yet legally recognised as a native mammal, uh, despite the fact that they really are uh, a native mammal. Um, so what the current uh, situation is, is that we, the Beaver Trust and other organisations like the Wildlife Trust, um, are campaigning and in conversation with DEFRA, so the government, to try and uh, reverse that and to make beavers legally rec recognised um, and allowed back onto our rivers. Um, it's just a little bit complicated because beavers make their presence very known and they encroach on agriculture um, and areas of public land. Um, so there's a lot of management that needs to take place to minimise any conflict or overlap between beavers and humans. So it's a really interesting um, situation and it's still very much in limbo. So with this in mind beaver trust commissioned nina to make a film that basically introduced the concept of the beaver because there's still a lot of myths that need to be busted about this animal uh they do not eat fish <laughs> and um they're truly vegetarian vegan whatever um so we wanted to make a film that not only presented what the beaver is and what it represents but also um compared the story of the beavers here with the story in Scotland where beavers have been back for a little bit longer um, and also that the beavers in Bavaria in Germany where beavers have been back and established for about 10 years so they're a bit further along on their journey with having beavers back um, and we wanted to address the different opinions of the different stakeholder groups because some people are really opposed to having beavers back um, and it's really important to listen to them and to understand why they, they don't want them back when seemingly the science alone, you know, states that they must get be back in our rivers working away in, as soon as possible. So we made this film last year um, and it's about a 16 minute documentary and it was challenging, you know, to film it in 2020. The concept was great, everyone was really excited, but then obviously COVID threw a huge curveball. But I think because we were filming in quite remote locations um, from Scotland to the Cornwall Beaver Project to the River Otter. We squeezed in all the filming in the summer when restrictions were a bit um, uh, more flexible, I guess. Um, so we were able to go up to Scotland, social distance the whole time. Um, and I think, um, you know, we adhered to all of the guidelines, but it was, you know, there was just that classic undercurrent of a bit of anxiety about COVID in general. But I think we were just so excited by the message of the film and the fact that a documentary like this hadn't been made yet um, and that it was so timely and that we felt that just 
we, we wanted people to hear the beaver's story and we wanted to be the ones to tell it and tell it honestly and you know say beavers are amazing but they can be a massive pain in the arse uh, so we need to manage that um, and we need to you know we need it to be a community-led reintroduction pro program and what we hope is that what's already looking likely is that you know depending on the outcome of beaver reintroduction it can it's got the potential to massively pave the way for reintroductions of other mammals that have gone from our landscapes so we really hope that they're kind of a catalyst to starting this really cool wave of modern conservation and reintroduction where um you know uh we work a bit more with the land and we think on a bigger sort of scale of how can we make the health of the environments and the habitats more accommodating um, for nature. So uh, it was a really amazing project to be involved in just the people, it was such a collaboration of voices and of different people and so many people were involved in making it. And that was what was really special is that the beaver brought together, the beaver and its story brought together so many minds um, who, who wanted to see this story told. So, um, yeah, in a nutshell, in a massive nutshell, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and it, and it was a really great film, and it was um, it was really kind of it was interesting to see as someone who is on a marine and natural history photography course and you mm. know, doing film next year, and possibly I'm I'm hoping to go down that route as um more so than the photography side of things. It's interesting to see how he made such a good film in those conditions, and mm. kind of get a bit of um an insight mm. into the to the background and the challenges mm. that you faced because you know mm. as, as much as we hope and pray um whenever we do our big projects and our dissertations and things in the next couple of years we might still be facing restrictions of some kind yeah, of course um, well you should definitely um chat to nina again i'm sure because um you know she was amazing and she was just such a cool calm collected head throughout the whole process and she's so meticulously organized and i think that was the key as well is just to um be flexible but also have a you know a good schedule um and to she planned out the shots way before we started filming um and the story was all there so that the shooting was really efficient so that we weren't kind of lingering in one place for any length of time yeah yeah no I'd, um she gave a a talk to some extra students actually recently um yes. that, that i i'm living with extra students so i kind of hopped onto the call um and was able to watch it and and definitely answered some really interesting questions about mm. filming there and um mm. but yeah she's just just around the corner um in penryn yeah. so i'll definitely want to want to talk to her at some point yeah, in the, oh, in the course awesome. um kind of keeping it to locally to Cornwall um we're really close here in Penryn to the Cornwall Beaver Project um mm. this is something that I mean I'm wondering obviously but also a couple of my flatmates who do conservation biology and, and my course Anna and a few of my friends on my course as well were wondering if you could just kind of answer if like post lockdown possibly even post Covid whatever that looks like mm. um, are the public or are members of the public and students able to access the farm and kind of obviously in a non-invasive ethical way photograph them or do you need oh my God, yeah, of licenses? No, no 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 of course you can come so you don't need any licenses um, it's more that so Chris Jones who runs the farm and is Beaver Trust's director of restoration so he handles all of the other 
he liaises with a lot of people who want to have visas and want to apply for licenses to get them and things. Um, it's his farm and his home. Um, so last year he had just a really intense period where just every single day there was another set of visitors and he's so dedicated to public awareness and public engagement that he gives everybody a VIP tour of the whole five acre enclosure and he's more than happy to in fact delighted to support students um, from Falmouth especially to to help them in their photography projects um, the best thing to do actually is to get in touch with me <laughs> um, and I can put you in touch with Chris and you can arrange a date to go down. So we're, what we're trying to do this year is just to stagger the visits a little bit so that um, he's got a little bit of a breather in between because he's got so much work to do anyway. Um, that's just one element of his work. So, um, yeah, in the summer, you know, he can he invites students to come down and camp for a night so that you can see beavers right up into the evening and um, watch them do their thing. So, uh, yeah, best thing to do is get in touch with us as we host the project and um, we can set up some dates. That sounds amazing. Um, I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've always known that I wanted to start this course with the intention of kind of getting the most out of it on the science communication side and the mm. kind of um, using using photography to document citizen science and, and science projects um and reintroduction sure. and conservation sort of in the uk and uh, mm. so i'm slightly hesitant about putting that segment of the podcast out because now my classmates are going to steal that idea um <laughs> from me but uh, yeah keep it keep it secret if you want i think um one thing that's kind of not beaver related um and i am again sorry that i'm taking away from the beavers because again i'd, I'd love to spend all day and all night talking about them they are amazing <laughs> creatures um, I don't know how much you're allowed to kind of tell me, but um, you're writing a book, is that right? Uh, indeed, yes. Uh, uh, I've actually been writing all day um, in my little cave, but uh, yes, I am writing a book and um, I can say a little bit about it. So uh, it's called Forget Me Not and um, it is a story, so it's a non-fiction narrative that kind of tracks my journey uh, I do 10 separate trips around Britain um, to find each to find um, a different species or habitat that I believe is a overlooked and not well known uh, by the public and b that is they're all native um, but they're all sort of have a climate change story to tell so it's a journey that talks it's kind of a celebration of Britain and its wildlife and habitats, but also with kind of the, looking through the lens of climate change and trying to piece, you know, figure out, um, you know, what's going to happen to these species and is it going to be too late before they go or what can we do to sort of save them? So ultimately, in terms of tone, it sounds quite bleak, but actually, I hope it will be, um, you know, lighthearted and informative um, and more just a celebration of sort of the UK and it's amazing places and encouraging people to sort of go out and see them before they might disappear <laughs> maybe <Amazing. I'm> slightly bleak <laughs> no it's, um, it sounds really good um I know I've I had the pleasure of interviewing uh Megan McCubbin a few months ago and I know yeah. um she was able to tell me again about her book but it is a bit of a um the uh kind of a <laughs> a sort of loaded question um if 
an author is in the middle of writing I'm never quite sure if I'm allowed to <laughs> to ask anything but um it's great to get a bit of a breakdown of that it looks uh, it sounds really really good um thank you I mean talking of books I saw your Instagram story highlight uh, earlier today actually on books uh, there's some great recommendations mm. I'm not going to be able to pick up any of the recommendations because I'm pretty sure I have a scarily large number of books um, I think last oh, time I checked too. it was about 21 that were unread on my shelf oh, yeah that sounds about right and mm-hmm. you know it, it, this this is an impossible question and I'm, I'm so sorry to ask it <laughs> but if you were to recommend like one nature themed or wildlife themed mm. book, one piece of nature writing uh what would it be and why oh my gosh well that's actually very easy because i finished it yesterday um it's the over story by richard powers and mm. it is it has achieved the remarkable in that a bit like um i'm gonna drop another one here a bit like where the crawdads thing where it's a fiction story um with characters and everything yet the nature writing is absolutely amazing and you learn so much about the natural world whilst you're reading the story um but it's just kind of achieving so much and it's the overstory is amazing because it will never make you or it'll make you look at trees in a totally different way so you'll never look at a tree in the same way again um And I think it's so unique because it presents trees in a way that you've never seen them presented before. I won't say too much more, but it makes you massively appreciate plants in a way that I don't think is taught um, very frequently. So it's a bit of a meaty book. It takes a while to get into it because you have to learn all the characters' stories and how they weave together, but it's so worth sticking with um and it will honestly change your frame of reference for trees and nature it's amazing amazing yeah as i said i'm not going to pick it up because i won't get around to reading it for another (laughs) eight months at at some point you must Um, but at some point it's definitely the audiobook yeah yeah that's an idea actually i could Mm. read one i'm currently reading two at the same time and oh it, yeah i always yeah. try and do that it never works out well <laughs> well yeah I'm, I'm trying i'm reading one actual like meaty fiction book and then i'm reading um audrey lord's your silence will not protect you so it's like an essay collection oh. of poetry so i'm kind of reading an nice. essay and poem a day if i can oh uh, nice yeah that's quite a nice way of doing again. it when you yeah i think it's i always think it's really important to have a fiction book alongside a more serious book so i alternate i do a fiction book and non-fiction and fiction non-fiction because I always find a lot of nature writing at the moment as wonderful as it is um, and as solution-based as a lot of it is I still find it quite hard to read and quite Mm. depressing I think half of me makes me think of work all the time but then the other half I just find it it's just it's just like oh god it's so gloomy and it's all our fault but you know there are some excellent examples of where that's not the case but I think I've just read a bit too much uh books along the same lines as feral which is also an amazing book um yeah. but also made me lament what humans have done but anyway this is a positive podcast isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it is important to touch on these things um yeah obviously feral a great another recommendation there um haven't read mm. it yet but it's on the shelf somewhere um i think at home so i'll definitely be picking that up and um yeah it's it, it, really important to read um 
fiction and non-fiction alongside mm. each other sometimes uh i've just mm. finished a couple of weeks ago i finished reading sweet grass um by oh i really want to read that i need to read that is oh, it good it's, it's amazing it took me a long is time it? to get through because i really it's one of those books that i wanted to kind of pace myself we pick um, it apart really okay nice apart, really it's it's covered in post-it notes um it's you know it's got nice. so much science in it and so much indigenous wisdom and knowledge and and teaching mm. and um you know the the way she weaves her work as a botanist as a as a trained mm. scientist and her uh sort of the the lessons she's learnt as a member of the Potawatomi indigenous nation is is incredible it, it just blends mm. together um, i really really want to read that i've heard so much about it yeah my my copy is is pretty beaten up i've taken it everywhere <laughs> and anywhere as it should be though as it, it should be on the beach um yeah on the on the yeah water, literally everywhere but, yeah proper job nice definitely um i think we can kind of sort of finish off but i mean before we do something that i've always do with my my guests is a little quick fire round at the end So first off, what's your favourite animal? A beaver. I, I that was I think actually the fastest. Shock. Yeah, the, that okay. was the fastest. I'm, I'm constant. If you could see me, I'm concentrating so hard. <laughs> yeah. Where is somewhere you like to go and connect with nature, like the place you kind of most feel at home outside? Probably one of my favourite places to go is the coast path above the River Otter slash Budley Salston Beach in East Devon. Uh, do Do you have a conservation hero? Uh, I'm going to say Chris Jones of the Cornwall Beaver Project. Last off, how do you take your coffee? Oat milk. Uh, yeah, so I think we can kind of wrap it up there. But before do we... you want a good fact? Yes, I, I go? I'd, love, I'd love to. So Nikki, Nikki, who uh, is a director of Beaver Trust, has had an incredibly uh, interesting career. Um, one of her roles was setting up and founding... Um, Boston Tea Party. Oh wow, that is very yes. very interesting. Yeah, so um, I still have yet to quiz her in depth about that, but I always find that a good—that's my good uh, dinner table fact of late. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's amazing what you can find about find find out about people. Um, sort of going mm. back on there, there's so many people um who have done one thing at university and you know studied one thing because they've been forced to choose something early on in life and then then done such a varied career but I think uh before we go I just want to ask where can people like find you what are both your social media handles and those of the kind of numerous projects you're involved with um so my social media is at Sophie Pabs I still have my very childish handle that I came up with in first year of university um so that was easy and uh beaver trust i would recommend following if you want we've got another film coming out this year or we're developing another film this year um and they are just at beaver trust so simple and mm. any um yeah i'm i'm fairly i'm less active on social media at the moment while i'm writing but um if anyone is interested in uh the book when it comes out uh if you follow me you'll probably find out a bit more about it 
Awesome. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on again. It's oh, it's, been so much it's fun. always thank nice you. to uh, to interview someone that I've been um, sort of that I've known through social media for a while um, yeah. and, and get to know them a bit better and their kind of origin stories and their interests in, in conservation um, on a podcast like this. So, yeah, it's been really fun. And I'll oh, let no, you know you. kind of when it's out. Thanks again to Sophie for taking the time to speak to me today. All the links to her social media will be in the description down below, as usual. So, I said that today we're featuring coffee from Union Hand Roasted Coffee. Union are a small company with a big reputation that consistently puts them at the top of sustainable and ethical coffee lists. They work directly with farmers through their own form of the direct trade method, which they call Union Direct Trade, and they actually got their start roasting in a garden shed determined to change the way coffee is produced, sourced and paid for. Coffee is an easily exploited commodity, with many farmers facing devastation to their livelihoods from a variety of sources. Union were one of the first companies in the UK to work directly with coffee farmers and ensure everyone on their supply chain is paid and supported fairly. This particular coffee is called Yayu Wild Forest Coffee. The following information I took from the Union Hand Roasted website, and there's plenty of more detail over there. The Yayu Forest Reserve in Ethiopia is one of the last and most important remaining places for the conservation of wild Arabica coffee. Wild coffee forests and surrounding forested areas are part of a coffee farming system that benefits livelihoods and nature conservation. Union work closely with communities at Yayu to improve the quality of their coffee which, via Union Direct Trade, means that better prices are paid to the farmer. According to Union's website, if the coffee is worth more, the value of the forest also increases, providing an incentive for its preservation. Union works closely with the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew, the UK's Darwin in Initiative and local partners. Altogether, they aim to improve the long-term livelihoods of coffee farmers at Yayu and protect the biodiversity of the forest, which is home to hundreds of plant and animal species and important natural populations of Arabica coffee. You can find out more about the details of this particular coffee through the link in the episode description. If you feel like you've learned anything of value from these episodes, please consider donating to my Ko-fi page. This is a no-strings-attached, one-off version of Patreon, and it's where I produce some extra bonus content for you, and also it's a way of supporting small coffee growing communities and small coffee companies. If you'd like to help me help these people in groups, please consider supporting me on Ko-fi. You can find me through the link in my Instagram bio and the description. Coffee with Conservationists is now available on Spotify, Anchor, Google and Apple Podcasts and a few more places. As ever, thank you all so much for listening. I've been your host, George Steedman-Jones, and this is the Coffee with Conservationists podcast.